Welcome to another episode of Growing the Gift, a podcast all about parenting transplant kids. Our goal is to provide support and resources for families who are finding their new normal. We'll be discussing what it's like to parent a transplant kid, from dealing with emotions to handling medical appointments. We hope you find the information helpful and that you join us for future episodes. Today, we have Jill Brown from Northwest Kidney Kids. Welcome, Jill. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? We're doing great. We're doing great. We really wanted to talk about today what I wish I had known before my child needed a transplant. So just to open us up, can you tell us about your personal journey with transplant? My journey starts about uh, 10 years ago in 2012 when my daughter got a illness and ended up going into kidney failure. And in that time, it wasn't so fluid. So she went into renal failure at 23 months and was on dialysis for about nine weeks. And she had an acute, what we hope would be acute kidney failure. And then after we went home, there was a lot of other things that happened in that illness. She had a stroke, she's diabetic, she had an ostomy and a reversal. And so we were managing a lot of medical stuff, but we were hopeful that her kidneys would do okay for a little while. She was about CDK3, so chronic kidney disease three. And then in February of 2013, her kidney labs were coming back and obviously her kidneys had failed again and she had very little function. And so she went back on dialysis in February of 2013. And we started the workup for transplant at that time. She went back on dialysis, the, when you're in kidney failure, you have an option at least to do dialysis to keep you going, which not every solid organ transplant does have that, but you have to kind of make the decision between HD and PD. And some of those decisions are made for you. What was interesting for us is that when we went to go do the PD surgery, so the dialysis, which most kids get put on, Kylie had had so many bowel surgeries in the last year that they weren't even sure they could put her catheter in. So I don't know if it's what I wish I would have known, but more what I'm glad I did was speak up with the doctors and say, do we need to do PD? We figured I was a match for Kylie. I was in pretty good health, that there was, shouldn't be anything that would throw me off to be her donor. And so by speaking up and saying, you know, asking the question, do we need to do PD dialysis? It really opened the conversation with our team to kind of think about Kylie as an individual and all the surgeries she had been through in the last year. And we made the decision to stay on hemodialysis. So maybe it's not, it's more of just making sure that when you do have those gut fillings is to speak up and ask your team, because there's always, um, there's always other perspectives out there and there's a couple ways to approach a problem. I remember her blood pressure was really high on dialysis and one nephrologist came in and said, oh, we're just going to remove those other, those native kidneys. We're going to flip her over during surgery, take out the other kidneys and that way it will help her blood pressure. And so I went back to her main nephrologist and I said, do we need to do this? You know? And so we had that conversation again, um, too, like, do we, with Kylie individual, she's been through so many surgeries can we wait and see what happens? Her illness wasn't genetic. It wasn't at birth. It wasn't from lack of, from lack of having kidneys. It was really because she got an E. coli infection that wreaked havoc on her system. 
So for her individually, her blood pressure wasn't something that was being caused by another, another, it was being, wasn't being caused by another disease, I guess. It was just because of her, her failing kidneys. And I think that's such a good point, right? We talk about advocacy and, and how important it is to know what is going on with our children and understand, even though they fall within an already rare group of transplant, even within that community, our kids are still individuals and have their own story and no two are alike. Um, and I think that's such a good point for parents that when you feel like something isn't right, or you need to question it, that's okay. You are your child's biggest advocate. So I thank you for touching on that. Now we go to the day of transplant. It's, it's never easy to hand your child over, even if they've been through previous surgeries over for such a life-changing procedure. So can you tell us what you kind of maybe wish you had maybe been poor, more prepared or known from the day of transplant or what you would like families to know about the day of transplant? So I was Kylie's donor. So that the day of transplant was, I always say I had the best I was, it was the easiest for me because they sedated me <laughs> and I didn't have to actually wait and be anxious for that surgery, though I've been through so many of Kylie's surgeries with her. I, that anxiety of just waiting to hear news is some of the worst moments of that I can think about. And I, so many things flashed through my mind, but the, the day of surgery was, so it was pretty easy for me. I had my, we were already in the hospital admitted and Kylie had done her last dialysis treatment the Friday before, and we were first thing on Monday morning. And so I just walked over to the adult side of our transplant hospital, which is actually connected by a bridge. And his dad got her ready for surgery. So I don't know if there's anything that I wish I would have known. I had hopes that after my surgery, I would be one of those warrior parents that you see that they get, they go over to their child's room and is able to visit them. And that had to be the hardest thing because I just was not in a place in which I, I could do that. And that was really, that was really hard for me. And then I think the other thing I did, I didn't really prep was my our oldest who was at the time he was with my brother that day and he came into my hospital room and he just started crying and I don't know if we prepared him for the fact that he you know he'd been through his little sister going through all of this medical stuff for base for over a year now in another hospital and ICU and whatnot, but I don't know if he was really ready for me to also be laid in a hospital bed. And I think sometimes we forget that the siblings, they need, they need a little bit more information and knowledge of what to expect as well. I think that's such a good point, right? We worry about preparing our children and, and us, but what about immediate family, siblings, even in-laws or aunts and uncles, cousins, close family and friends who maybe for us as medical families, we're a little bit warrior, we're warriors and we're a little more desensitized to the, to seeing someone on a breathing tube or things like that, even though it's still shocking for us, we're maybe more prepared, but how to prepare our families for that. Cause I think that was true, even with, in our journey with our, our daughter is that people would walk into her room and start crying. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you, you know, and you're like, you can't cry in here. I'm like, you can cry, but you know, for her, it was all about keeping that room, a positive space. So that's, that's such a good point, Jill. You bring up great things. And then, you know, kind of going through transplant, it is now post-transplant. And I guess I mean, like 
right after, not this whole time, but, but if even this time, if there was something you would want parents to know about post-transplant, what are things that you think that would be beneficial to parents that you had gone back and wish maybe someone had sat down and said, this is something to expect, or here's what, what I wish I, someone had sat down and told me. Yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's easy. Sometimes it's hard to think back, you know, all those years ago, what you wish you would have known because each journey is so unique. And I felt pretty prepared for what we were going through. And as you mentioned, when we started, I work with Northwest Kinney Kids and Northwest Kinney Kids is an advocacy group and a local support group for families with kidney disease and mostly in stage. So I had met quite a few parents through this, through this journey. And one of my really dearest and closest friends had gone through transplant six months prior with her son and she was his daughter. So we, we kind of already understood what was going to happen afterwards. But the hardest thing I think with transplant is that you literally throw out all of your old meds and you get a whole new, new, a whole bunch of new meds. And some of the things that really held us up right afterwards was like co-pays for these meds and then trying to understand, you know, and then we find out that there's payer cards through the, the pharmacy and like, or through the manufacturer. So those things just took a little bit time to get through and you're, you're trying to get discharged and you have to have, you know, after 10 days in the hospital and you have to have these meds in order to go home and they're not meds that you had previously had. And then all of a sudden you're hitting $100, $200 co-pays at the pharmacy. But then there's other, there's these payer cards that will help you take down those costs. But if until you, you can't leave the hospital without those meds and you don't have these payer cards. So I think some of that transplant pharmacy stuff would have been nice to maybe known ahead of time just to understand what we were getting ourselves into, especially from a finance standpoint and knowing that these payer cards even existed for the, for the meds at the time. I don't think all those meds are even, we were still when Prograph was, wasn't genetic, generic yet. So some of that doesn't even matter anymore. Oh, isn't that the truth? And I think that to just add on to that is that as soon as you even understand all the meds, then they change it, right? That the med list is constantly adjusted a lot in that very beginning of transplant. And just to be flexible, I know for me, one of the biggest tricks we learned was to prepare our meds and have them daily ready up until whenever her next lab or clinic was right. Because if we went too far ahead, then we're wasting it. Cause they're like, oh no, we're changing the dosage or, or we're removing this. We're adding that. And so if we were doing a lab draw on, you know, a Monday and the next one was Friday, we would do four days worth of meds waiting for that next one. So I think that's, that's so true with the medication part and understanding which pharmacies to even go to, you know, that there's mail order and then there's your local pharmacy. This isn't like going and getting amoxicillin for your kid with an ear infection, right? Sometimes you're dealing with compounds or really specialized medication. So that's such great advice, Jill. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's like post-transplant too. For us, we had other, other consideration being on steroids, messed with her insulin and her diabetes. And for us, again, it was, you know, asking the questions and making sure all the right people were in the room. Like, do we need to be on steroids? Do we need to be on such a high dose of steroids? Like, sure. It protects the kidney, but also high diabetes or high insulin or glucose isn't going to protect that kidney. And then fluid, I, for kidneys, fluid is such a big 
a big consideration. So, you know, you can't prep your kitty kid to be able to take two liters of fluid a day because they're fluid restricted prior to transplant usually, but definitely having some, um, some tech tools and techniques in your tool belt when your kid is ready to drink or use that G2 because it's so much water to get into them after transplant. Yeah, absolutely. So then if there was one thing that you would wish transplant families who are new to our group, or maybe this is the first time listening to this podcast, not necessarily before, during, or after transplant, if there's one thing you would want those families to know or wish you had kind of known, what do you think that might be? So I think just from my experience of seeing families come to support groups and to, we do a camp each summer for kids and for families, find your crew, like find people who have similar lived experiences because they can really help you through that process of, of what you're going through. If it's pre or post transplant, if it's eight years after, you know, we have a lot of families or a lot of my friends who have had kids with kidney transplants as toddlers, you know, they're going into middle school and some have been dealing with rejection. And so then it becomes like a new, a new way to communicate and talk about. I always think about our language system having to expand when we have transplant. You know, we, most of us didn't go to medical school or, or go to anything medical related, right? And now all of a sudden we have to understand a whole bunch of complex medical terms and systems and medications and pharmaceutical and DME companies and insurance. And so if you have friends and a support system that can share that language system, it just, I feel like it really helps cut down some of the, some of the like sympathy that you might get from friends who don't understand that you can't cut through some of that BS sometimes. And they don't mean to not be supportive. It's just that they can't understand because they haven't lived that experience. So I, I really encourage if it's in a group like Northwest Kidney Kids or transplant families or another regional group that are supporting families with transplants, if you reach out to them to get involved, or if it's through social media and you just find even one person that has, you know, a similar experience to you, it can really change the way in which you don't feel alone. And that's so important. It is so true. Even just being able to explain something and not having to explain what a lab means or whatever, you know what I mean? So if you explain that, like, you know, that this lab is high, but then you have to explain what that means to someone who's not in the work in the transplant world, when you're speaking to other parents who are in your world, you just, you can just get into the details and talk about it and support. And that alone is really such a huge thing. So the it definitely one, is. Yeah. It really, right. Cause you're like, if not, you're trying to explain and then educate them, which when you're already emotionally exhausted from everything, it, it just, it's not the same, you know, and your friends, like you said, they want to be supportive and they want to be there, but it's just, they can't understand. And how could they, we didn't understand before we were part of this world. We would have never been able to be that support and that's okay. It's just knowing that there are different people for, to meet different needs in our life. And in transplant, you do need those families, right. To give you that emotional support and understand where you're coming from, you know, just as simple as to say, and going to the hospital and say, Hey, today was a, a hard, you know, a hard stick. 
like we instantly know what that means, right? You know what that that trauma to everybody meant and you don't need to go down that road of explaining what that means. So the question I always want to ask people, and I think this is such a thing that is so important, but to you, what does being an advocate for your child mean to you? I always say I have one patient and it happens to be my daughter, right? And so for me, being Kylie's advocate means that I understand fully everything that all the specialties all the her social emotional needs her schedule her when she needs a break and so for us it's like when we go to nephrology our kidney doctor appointment and they say I want to see her in three months and we go to endocrine and they say I want to see her in three months and GI says I want to see her in three months those are all doctors that, you know, traditionally just see patients every three months, depending on how acute or chronic their disease process is. And though I understand if it, if she was just diabetic or she was just in kidney failure, or she just had a stroke, maybe seeing that specialty doctor every three months would really make sense. But for Kylie, because she has five specialty doctors that can be very overwhelming. And she has such anxiety, like white coat anxiety, especially with all of the medical stuff she's been through. And so I started to say, can we do four months? You know, and then with COVID, the best thing that came out of it is virtual appointments, right? And so now we do like most of our stuff virtually and we see the doctors once a year, unless it's needed for another reason, like Botox, you can't do virtually. But I think being a strong advocate for my kid means that I understand all the uniqueness of her and all of her medical needs. And then making sure that when she also, her pancreas basically doesn't work. And so she also needs crayons for her food. And so, you know, one, somebody will say, well, and this, this might get a little bit too into it, but it, it all relates to one another, right? So if, nephrology is changing her nutrition, then her creons and her insulin needs to change or endocrine saying that she needs protein. If she goes low, well, that impacts how much creon she needs. So I just have to see the big picture and then just keep working with all the providers. There's no one person who really gets to know Kylie from every aspect of her besides me. And I just need to know that I am the strongest voice in that room because nobody else is looking at the complete picture. Right. You're the general contractor and these are all the subcontractors and you got to keep, <laughs> yeah. that, you got to keep that project on task. Well, Jill, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us. Thank you everyone for joining us. You can find our podcast on our website, Apple, Google, or Spotify. And I hope you can join us next time. Thank you so much. <laughs>